0: Enjoy the show.
1: Today's guest is illustrator and urban sketcher, Lynn Chapman. Lynn has had a fascinating career and lots of tips to share if you're an aspiring illustrator. But what made us reach out to Lynn was her amazing urban sketching. As you may know, Sandra and I are both working on improving our sketching on location. And whenever I'd Google urban sketching tips, Lynn's name would pop up.
0: So if you're interested in illustration or urban sketching, I think you're really going to enjoy this interview. I agree she was absolute joy to talk to just a quick extra note to let people know that the sound may not be quite what it normally is that's because we were recording on a day that was probably about 100 degrees hotter than the sun and uh, we were all sweltering so we did have to um, remove a bit of fan noise from the background so apologies if anyone thinks the sound is not quite what it usually is but enjoy the interview. <laughs> So, well, first of all, Lynn, we are so happy to have you on today. Uh, We've been really looking forward to chatting to you. And we would love to know, first of all, when did your love for drawing begin?
2: Well... I'm pretty much, well, I'm told by my mum anyway that I drew from the moment that I was able to hold a pencil and just loved drawing when I was really, really small. And so it's kind of one of those things I just never stopped doing. I think part of it is that I'm a born show-off. (laughs) <laughs> and you get to the stage where you do something and everybody goes, oh, that's amazing, Woo! usually because it's your parents. And so you do it more. And then I got to school and I was the kid in the class that was quite good at drawing. Um And again, people people sort of make a fuss of you. So you do it more. And I think that was how come. I really stuck at it and got really good because it was something that that I always got this wonderful kind of feedback for. Um, So it just fed into that, really. So I did it and I did it. And unlike most people, when they get to sort of early teens and they kind of stop drawing because they lose confidence, I just kept going. So yes, I've always done it.
1: So you trained in printed textile design. So what is that for a start? And sort of (laughs) How did you get into that and then what made you change direction? Well,
2: originally, I thought I wanted to be a painter. And I had this kind of rather kind of hazy idea of me somewhere kind of with a furrowed brow slopping oil paint about. Um, And I did a foundation course and then applied for fine art courses and didn't get taken up. And it's absolutely obvious now. Why I didn't get taken up, because I was an illustrator. And at the time, fine art courses were very sort of big abstracts, Howard Hodgkin's type thing. Um, and so really, I didn't stand a hope in hell, and it was a jolly good job. I didn't get in really because I would have been miserable. So I hung around for a year, sort of painting and building a portfolio. And then I found this course at Middlesex, which it was printed textile, so it's basically designing for fabric. So it could be for curtains, or it could be for dress, you know, fabrics. But it allowed you to do the most bonkers paintings, anything you want, and then put them in repeat on fabric without any consideration about whether that was actually a commercial thing to do. <laughs> so I had a fantastic time. I got onto this course because I'd done all this drawing and drawing and drawing, and. um I just spent three years enjoying myself and I learned how to screen print fabric, which was really exciting because I'm Diddy, I'm five foot one, and these furnishing fabric screens were as big as I was and you had to kind of like struggle along with them and whack them down on this huge table and then screen print across down the sort of the length of this long hall. So I just loved it. And then when it came to graduation... I had all these sort of like crazy man fabrics. But the industry at the time was completely, you know, it was knocked off at the knees because it was a a huge recession at that time, the recession before this recession. So the textiles industry had virtually gone. And also what what there was, was sort of, if you remember Laura Ashley, all the little floral, tiny weeny little floral things which couldn't have been more different to what I was doing and interested in. So it was just never going to happen. And I was just really fortunate that I, because I was making sketchbooks even then, I had the access to screen printing facilities. So I made these lovely um, fabric jackets for all my sketchbooks and put little illustrations on the front screen printed on. And I had those lying around underneath the crazy fabrics. and. Somebody came along and saw that and realized my potential as an illustrator so Although I got not a sniff of interest from textile people, um I got this person that came and it was it was a real low level start it was greetings cards. Um, And it was somebody who, uh, it was royal, which I don't think is even around anymore, but they were really seriously old fashioned. They were the kind of the mice in the champagne glasses and the kittens on the piano type. Greetings cards, dreadful stuff, really kind of twee and nasty. And they realised that they were behind the times, and they wanted somebody young to relaunch a new range. And so they thought, take a chance, you know. So this person um, invited me to have a go at designing greetings cards, which I duly did. And looking back, I was dreadful. Because <laughs> I never I had no idea about illustration, of course. Um, but they were really patient, and they the woman was so lovely because every now and then she would buy one just to keep me interested, even though they clearly had no interest in ever publishing it. And eventually, she kind of can kind of show me enough to get me to produce something that was half decent. And then what I did. Was produce work for them, and then produce work for other greetings cards companies, and just kind of work freelance across various people that were around at that time, and learned how to be an illustrator just on the hoof, really, and and that's how it began. But I mean, it became became really really boring after a while, because you know the most exciting greetings card designs are the ones that are really tiny companies doing quite arty stuff and they might only produce you know 12 new cards a year so even if they love your work you can't live on you know one of 12 cards they're going to produce that year so i had to work for the big companies the very commercial companies and so it was trying to think of things to do for boys birthdays and valentines and all of those kind of occasion cards that you know there's only so many things you can do with a heart
1: Father <laughs> Christmas,
2: yeah. you, know, you know all of that so after a while I was just losing the will to live and so that's when I decided that if I was going to be an illustrator I was going to do, try and do something that had a little bit more gravitas and would challenge me a little bit more and be a bit more creative um, so that's kind of how I got into illustration and what I did next was basically editorial So I was living in London at the time, and that was where all the magazines and newspapers were based. They're not all based there now, but they still mostly are. And so I put together a new portfolio of work illustrating magazine articles that I found, you know, and then I took that around to all the different publishers, editorial publishers, and said, you know, what do you think, you know? (laughs) And eventually, I got somebody who said, oh, yeah, okay, you know, and they gave me a commission. And so then I I got a foot in the door. And once you've got something published, it shows, okay, you deliver on time, you know, because there's all of that to worry about. It's not just whether you can do the illustration. It's will you actually answer the brief? Mm -hmm. Will you kind of get terrified and run away and never hear from you again? (laughs) You know, will it come in on time? Will it do what it's supposed to do? And all of those things. So once you're published, it shows that, okay, you're probably reliable, so you'll get more published work. So I gradually built up a client list across a complete range of, you know, everything from sort of the big things that you've heard of, like, you know, the Times Educational Supplement, which one I worked for quite a bit, um, down to trade magazines for – there was one called Cement Monthly. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> I, I mean, it was one of these things you go to a publishing house and they have loads of different ones in the foyer that they publish so you you can go oh they also do this and they also do this and so then you phone back and get appointments to see the art directors of all these other trade magazines so I phoned up the Cement monthly man you know and they said so uh, what sort of articles do you do and he said oh you'd be surprised how much there is to say about cement <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, sounds Yeah, yeah, exactly. (laughs) And you'd get these articles and sometimes accountancy magazines, you've got quite a lot of illustration work from them because what on earth are they going to do? You can't take photographs. And these articles could be deadly and incredibly dense and you're trying to work out what it's all about, get your head around it, then come up with some kind of witty visual analogy. Um pretty much overnight and then I would have to do a quick rough drawing and in those days fax it to the publisher and then they would say yes or no or change this or don't. What, was it like
0: a cement mixer? (laughs) (laughs) Well, yes. (laughs) A big old builder with a builder's bum. (laughs) Yeah, but it could could be quite sort of like
2: tangential stuff. So, um, for instance, uh, one of the ones I did for the Times Ed was about excluded children. And so I did an illustration of the school gates and I did the kind of rubbish collector's Mm with this kid in in a waste bin on this kind of bin man's back, you know, and and the sort of headmaster kind of waving goodbye. You know? <laughs> so it was kind of taking a slightly funny slant on things, you know. So you had to be you had to sort of be incredibly um kind of quick witted really, because you didn't have long to do this. It was quite a challenge. It was a little bit stressful. You didn't have very long. And Then you would send it through and then you probably had a couple of days to to do the artwork and get it back to them. So it was very exciting and I was sort of really proud of myself strutting around London delivering artwork to these very flashy kind of offices and things, you know, I've made it now, you know. But it was not something that I wanted to be doing as I got older. It's a, a young person's game that, because also... I built up this client list, but people would use you maybe once or they might use you once a month for four months, six months, if you're lucky. But then they don't want you anymore. They want somebody else because the magazine needs fresh stuff all the time. So you never really got off the starting blocks. You were always having to take a portfolio around and knock on doors and remind people that you existed and trying to drum up custom all the time, which Again, incredibly hard work. So I, I decided I didn't really want to do that forever. But I, it was brilliant because it taught me the trade. And so then I, I decided okay, what would be a step up from that? And that's when I decided to have a bash at children's books because it's a much bigger project. And so you actually get longer to think about what you're doing. And you establish relationships with publishers that go on for more than a few weeks. So, you know, you hope that you gradually build a reputation that is a bit more solid. Um, so so that's what I did in the end. Again, completely new, new portfolio of work. Um, I was very lucky. My husband was a teacher um, working basically in further education at that point. And he said, okay, we'll give it a year. Take a year. Don't have to earn if anything. You just sort of like build this portfolio and then go out and see what happens. And so I, I did exactly that. And so it was sort of fairly kind of worrying because, you know, <laughs> you lose all the contacts you've already got. Um, But it worked out. It took me a little while. I I picked up a few kind of just um they're called like re jacketing jobs. So not picture books, which is the the kind of the top end of it. But you know uh, the chapter books that slightly older children read where they have little black and white illustrations through oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Like meaning um,
0: blighton kind of books and...
2: Yeah, sort of. They're sort yeah. of shorter these days and, and snappier.
0: Yeah.
2: Um but American ones When they come over here, when they do a UK edition of them, they completely redesign the way they look, particularly the jacket, because the American market is very different to the UK market. And to our eyes, their jackets look quite old fashioned. And so it's just a very different look. So, what they would do is they would get somebody like myself to do a little jacket illustration that kind of they felt was more UK. So I picked up that sort of work to start with, which was a good way of kind of proving that I would deliver. And then eventually I got my first picture book. And uh, and it's funny, it's, it's how serendipity works for you. I took a portfolio round. So I was constantly taking portfolios round to publishers. And I went into this um, picture book art director's office and showed this portfolio of work and in there was an illustration that i'd sneaked in from my old work uh it was an illustration um on it was an illustration on serendipity in science and I can't remember for the life of me what it was all about now. But it was about animals in cages. And they, they'd all, science had all gone mad and weird things were happening. And so the, the rats had turned purple and the dogs were singing. That was my illustration. <laughs> and they saw this singing dog picture. And it just so happened they'd got a book on their desk that needed an illustrator that was about a singing cat. And it had already been illustrated. Uh, by somebody, and they weren't very happy with the style of illustration. They didn't feel that it suited the text very well. So they were behind schedule. And wondering what on earth to do. And this woman arrives with a picture of some singing dogs. And so they kind of made that connection and went, oh, okay. I bet she could do singing cats. So it's just this mad good luck thing that you get if you hammer away for long enough. You know, hopefully sooner or later something like that happens. So I got my first picture book and then I was away. Once you've done one, you know, they then fed me more books Um, And then eventually I got an agent and the agent spread me around to different publishers. So basically don't put your eggs in one basket, which was very good advice because the work from that first publisher didn't dry up, but it slowed down radically after the first few years. So, um, yeah, so that was how I kept going. So it's funny how the kind of route takes you through sort of different places until you kind of find something that you can stick at.
0: I think art is one of those things though isn't it it's it's it is a journey because it can take you in so many different directions and and it's a you never know where it's going to take you next
2: no exactly and mm. you know if you're a creative you tend to have sort of thoughts that take you off in in new directions mm. and and so if you wanted to kind of grasp hold of those it's bound to be a ziggy zaggy journey really mm. rather than a straight line
1: I was going to ask what medium were you using at the time? Because obviously, I, I'm guessing this was before digital.
2: Yes, and a lot of children's book illustrators don't use digital media anyway. I'm always getting emails from people who want to want to do children's book illustration, and they ask me what software I use, and they're really worried because they don't know how to use software, and you know they think they need to learn it, and and I'm always able to reassure them that actually, learning illustration is a hard enough challenge on its own you really don't need to layer over the top of that learning this kind of new media if you're not all if you're not already au okay fait with it um so it's not necessary to do it digitally um, quite a lot of illustrators actually are still not even techy. We're a funny bunch, actually. Very <laughs> um, but, but kind of we, we sort of squirrel away often in in little studios, and they <laughs> just pop our head above every now and then. So, so no, I didn't. I don't do it digitally. I only use Photoshop for sort of the the boring tasks that you have to do, um, like enlarging things, and and when you're trying to work out a difficult. Um, design on a page, kind of moving bits about and trying to kind of make it sit, uh, which I do at just the pencil rough stage. But the artwork has always been in pastels, chalk pastels. Interesting.
1: Um, And that's something
2: I started doing when I was doing the uh, editorial. And to begin with, I don't don't know why I stuck with it. I really don't. I I hated pastels when I first started choosing them because I tried to make them do what paint does. Right. And the secret is with changing media is that you have to actually accept that each media is different. Um, so this media might actually need to do completely different things to paint. And so once I am grasped that that was the case and stopped trying to force it to do sharp lines, <laughs> I'd settled into it. And then I really found that I just loved, I loved the color palette that you get with it, which is kind of bright but also subtle at the same time. And I liked the way that you use the chalks in that rather than having to mix up colors you mix it as you go. You can mix things on the paper. You you can layer colors and smudge them in or not smudge them in. And, and you can leave the marks of your own creation behind on the paper if you want to. Um, it doesn't have to all be smoothed away. And I, I quite like that, to see the artist's hand there in the mark making. So I, I once I got used to them, I really loved them. and it, And I've used them ever since. But the the big problem with them for children's book work is that artwork, when you finished it, it's taken you, but it takes me usually about a month to do all the kind of roughing it up, so to, to design the whole book in pencil. And then it takes me about two months to do the coloured artwork. So that artwork is quite precious. <laughs> There's a <laughs> yeah. lot of kind of sweat and tears and, you know, gritted teeth gone into it. But it's incredibly vulnerable. So you, you send it off to the publisher and they then have to send it off to a printer, which could be halfway around the world, usually is. And you just have to trust that everybody knows what they're doing and, and won't touch it and smudge it. And, you know, So it's it's a nightmare, really. And you can't. Really fix it properly because the fixatives change the colours. So I, I was constantly spraying things with fixative and then having to go over it all again because it just looked horrible. Um, so uh, yeah, it's it's a wonderful medium, but also a complete pain at the same time.
1: <laughs> so you got into children's illustration. Did you ever write your own stories? I have done. Um, I've
2: always I've always loved language and the two things I was good at at school were art and English. They were my sort of like real go-to subjects. So I've always written for fun and then one day I sort of thought, uh, hang on a minute, I'm missing a trick here. I should have a go at trying to write these myself. And I did and every now and then I got lucky and managed to write something that went all the way through the process, but I found the writing part of it—not the actual writing, which I enjoyed—but the getting it accepted part of it so incredibly stressful that in the end, I decided to stop doing that. Because when I'm commissioned to do the illustrations, I'm only approached when. The publisher is 100% happy with the text. They've already, the editors already worked with the author until they consider it to be perfect. It's all contracted. It's going to happen. They've chosen me. I'm the one. So unless I do something really bad, it's going to go and I'm going to get paid for everything I do from that moment on.
0: Did you ever think of self-publishing then? No,
2: and I, I, I know it's not what a lot of people would like to hear, but I would seriously dissuade anyone from self-publishing picture books because, well, there's so many reasons. One, One reason is that it's a team job for a reason. You might be good at illustration, but without the benefit of the rest of the team, you probably aren't going to edit the text properly. You probably aren't going to design the book properly. You probably haven't got the faintest idea how to market it. The front cover will probably not be something that will sell. There's so many reasons why it's likely to bomb. And then even if you get all that right, you're trying to compete with these humongous companies that have got this massive marketing machine behind them and even they struggle and so it's really really difficult to even make your money back let alone make anything out of it and because it's such a big job to do a pitch book because it takes so very long you really don't want to be doing that for nothing. No,
0: and I imagine the illustrating takes an awful lot longer than the writing. Well, it's interesting
2: in in a in an obvious way it does because yeah, I three months of my time sat literally full time working on it, um whereas if you're an author, you know because it's a very short test, you can rattle one off. but actually writing it is a lot more difficult than it appears from the links of the text and you there's so many challenges you have to take a child on a reasonably sophisticated journey which has to be a bit of an emotional roller coaster so that it feels satisfying but you have to do it in this terribly short amount of words and you have to have an end that is sufficiently satisfying which is one of the hardest things of all I think And you have to pace it right, so that when you illustrate it, and when you read it, everything, you know, like a book, it goes up, it goes down, you know, you have peaks and troughs, you have to get that. You can't have loads of things happening in the first half that an illustrator can't possibly cram in. And then everything taking place in the same place in the second half. So it's really visually boring. So there's, quite a lot that you have to think about as well as what the trends are at the moment Mm. so I was forever writing texts that you take them to a publisher and they'd fall off their seat laughing this is wonderful but I'm afraid we're looking for things for the three to five year old brackets at the moment and this is very much you know five to seven that sort of thing used to happen Mm. all the time. (laughs) so it's 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 quite a hard thing to do so that's why if people email me and ask me for advice I always try in the most tactful way possible to say please please don't put loads of money into this only spend what you can afford to lose
0: yeah I think that is important um but you are able to draw things out of your imagination obviously without any reference I presume so a lot of artists I know would struggle with that so do you think that that's a skill that can be learned do you have any tips for that
2: the big tip is always going to be the same um drawing just draw draw, draw draw all the time and then draw more really um i've got you might be surprised to find out but i actually have a condition uh, called uh, aphantasia which means that i don't have visual memory really? so that yeah and it's not uncommon in artists i've discovered Uh, And it varies in the strength of it. Some people literally see a black screen when they close their eyes. They see no pictures at all. Um, What I see is as if I'm trying to look at something through my peripheral vision. So I have a sense that it's there, so I can see it, sort of. But as soon as I try and actually look at it and look for any kind of detail, it evaporates like a dream so it's very frustrating so if i need to draw a bicycle i need to get a picture of a bicycle no chance i can't bring up into my i could have drawn a bicycle a lot of times and i'd still need that help although i find drawing something i think you store it in a different part of your brain so i have more chance of, of actually accessing a picture if i've already drawn it um But so I I do need reference to certain kinds of things. But what I can do without reference is draw animate things rather than inanimate things. So if I want to have a stab at, you know, a dog dancing ballet, I can certainly do a passable sketch that will hang right, it'll balance right. Um, it'll not look as if it's falling over backwards because that's just practice at drawing. And I might need to then go away and, and, you know, look at different kinds of dogs and, and to make it look like a recognizable dog. But I can get that basic sketching to capture the kind of the funny things, the ideas that I have that are not fully formed images, but I can sort of see them as they run through my head when I read a book. I can capture them more quickly because I have that strong foundation of drawing. Um, and that's the main thing, really, is being able to grab thoughts before they disappear on you. Um, but there's nothing wrong with reference. I think the big problem with reference is you mustn't copy. You have to, for instance, if you're doing a, a drawing of a dog or a bicycle, Get, get pictures of dogs and bicycles, maybe draw from dogs and bicycles, but then put the reference away and do it from memory. And then what happens is you don't remember all the detail that you don't need, all the stuff that makes it look really stiff and not very picture booky. All of that tends to disappear and you remember the important things. And so that would be my hot tip for I'm trying say to that use reference. That's a really reference.
0: good tip, yeah. Yeah, really it, it,
2: tip. it just, for me anyway, that works so well. So I want to draw a giraffe. I take good look at pictures of giraffes, do sketches, then put it all away. And then I find I can draw giraffes that are simplified enough to look, you know, look decent in a
1: picture book. So you've just given us one tip about creating characters, but if someone wants to learn more, you've got an online course, haven't you, for character design? Yes, this? I have. I had a, a really exciting kind of
2: mad opportunity that just fell in my lap. Somebody recommended me for a company that was then called Craftsy and is now been bought out and is now called My Blueprint, which is um, BLU, so My BLU Print. Um, and they're at myblueprint.com if anybody wants to have a look. And they're a company based in Denver in America that make these quite upmarket um, how-to films across the range of arts and crafts. And so they needed somebody to do book illustration. And so I was recommended. So they flew me to Denver. It was oh, so wow. exciting yeah. <laughs> and I was like really <laughs> and, uh, and I had three days in a proper recording studio with my, this proper team of professionals that were just mine for the three days and I talked about basically everything I could possibly think of that I have learned over the years about how to create characters for picture book illustration because I think that's a Kind of my unique selling point. That's what I'm particularly good at. Is making. You know, you've got a picture book with a badger in it. How do you make him look like a frustrated badger, or an envious badger, or a badger who's a bit of a nerd and makes you know airfix models and never comes out of his bedroom? You know, how do you do that? How do you make him look a particular badger so that we believe him and, in him and love him? And so that's that's the kind of stuff. I share and how you how you draw characters very simply from quite simple shapes to get you started and then you embellish that rather than starting at the top and trying to create a really lovely badger you know from his ears down to his toes you know that just isn't the easiest way to do it so so all of that stuff um and yeah so I, I it's in a series of lessons um so it's this kind of masterclass that i'm trying to remember how many lessons it is now i think it's about seven seven films and you sign up for um a subscription to blueprint which means you could not only access mine but you can access all these other films on drawing and painting there's loads of urban sketching people on there all the people that people would have heard of are on there and there's also other things like knitting and sewing and cooking and so it, it and it's all very high end so unlike youtube where it's a bit of a mixed bag and you're never quite sure if the advice you're getting is reliable or not these are all professional people or people at least that are at the top of their game. And so, and the films are really well made. Um, so I, I made these films and, and uh, had a wonderful, wonderful time and, and learned all about how that works. And, uh, and then I came home again and it was like I'd
0: been in some kind of crazy dream. It's <laughs> amazing. That's absolutely amazing. I heard that you've got over 200 sketchbooks at home. Yes. So, so how <laughs> important then, because that's amazing, first of all, but how important then do you think regular sketching is for an artist or in particular an illustrator?
2: Well, I think, I think it's very important because you need to learn the craft of drawing before you learn the bolt-on craft of whatever it is you're going to do with it. Yeah. So if you like can't foundation, draw, isn't it? Exactly. It's almost impossible if you can't draw to be an illustrator of any kind or you know a lot of other things that use drawing as a foundation. So you should do that anyway, but you should really want to do it if you if that's what you want to do. I would have thought people are doing it anyway, but it it underpins everything else. And if you want to get good at drawing, if you want to be a sketcher, and get the joy of sitting out, you know, in the park, drawing trees and people and cars and whatever it is that rocks your boat, and be able to do it in a way that pleases you so that you're not just kind of gritting your teeth and going, damn it, damn it, damn it! You know? yeah. <laughs> the, the only way is practice. The only way is practice. But it works like a magic trick. I, I do a lot of work with schools, and, and I always show them a sketchbook. And I usually try and do a drawing on the train on my way into the school, so that I can say, "Hey, look, I just did this before the day even started," you know. And they all go, "Oh, really?" You know? <laughs> um, and then I talk to them about the fact that practice is like a magic trick. It really doesn't matter what it is. If you want to be a trapeze artist, you know, you, you just do the same thing over and over, and you can't actually help getting good at it, and it's. Definitely the case with drawing. Um, I run sketch crawls, uh, or I did run sketch crawls. I have to correct that because I've just handed the group over to someone else um, in Sheffield. And um, I had somebody who came to me, unable to draw, but just liked the idea of drawing. And she'd been signed off work for a year because she'd had a nervous breakdown. And the doctor said to her, "Find something." that you can absorb yourself in something that will feed your creative side and will take you away from sort of the black thoughts presumably that she was having and she thought okay I'm going to learn to sketch and so she came along to a sketch crawl and she really enjoyed it but she was rubbish of course she's not (laughs) you know she hadn't drawn before why wouldn't she be um but she but it didn't put her off. She was that sort of a personality. And so she just stuck at it. And she went to every single sketch course she could get her hands on. She bought loads of different art materials to try them all out. And she just drew and drew and drew and drew. And over the course of that year, her sketchbooks were like this it's kind of lesson in how to use practice to master something. And by the end of the year, she was really good. And she wow. could lay her hand to drawing anything she fancied. And, and it was fantastic, actually, just looking at God. Yeah, it really does work. So just don't be off put by, you know, it not being brilliant to start with. You know, you wouldn't expect to pick up a clarinet and be able to just launch into music. So why do you expect that you can do that with sketching? You know, it's, exactly. you've exactly. got to learn. it. People think it's a gift. I often, when I'm out sketching, people often come along and say, oh, you're so lucky to have such an amazing gift. And I know that it's meant kindly. So I always smile and say, oh, thank you. But inside I'm like going
0: because I'm, <laughs> I'm going, this is fifty years of practice. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It is all about practice, isn't it? And and do you when you look back at cause you've got two hundred sketchbooks, so you do you ever look back on your own work from perhaps, I don't know, even five years ago to now and then compare. Are you continuously evolving and improving?
2: Yes. Um I think I think part of my personality is that I don't like to stand still. Mm. You know, I never like to do the same things. I don't have a favorite restaurant that I go to all the time. I don't have a favorite place that I go on holiday. I don't really do that. I like to try. There's so much out there to try. I want to go to a different restaurant every single time on holiday to a different place every single time. So that. is uh, is actually in my artwork. So I find that after I've used a certain medium for a certain amount of time, I want to try something new. Or if I see someone else doing amazing things with whatever, it's like, oh my God, I want to try that. (laughs) So my sketchbooks evolve through different things that I'm trying out. And one of the huge, huge turning points for me was when I got invited to join Urban Sketches. I don't know if everybody that's listening will know what Urban Sketches is. If you don't and you like drawing, especially if you like sketching real stuff that's out there, um, just go online and look up urbansketches.org because you will have your mind blown. Um, It's this international charitable organisation and they have grown. I, I I think I joined them in 2008. And they, they were quite new at that point. It was an idea that somebody had, somebody called Gabby Campanario, who lived in America, in Seattle. And he suddenly realized that there were other people like him that like going out sketching. But we all do it on our own. And he thought, be a quite interesting thing to try and pull all these people out of the woodwork so he started to look online to find because this was in the early days of posting your stuff online um and so he started to look online to see who he could find and he invited people specifically from different countries all around the world And he put together, I think it was a 100 that he put together, different people from all around the world who he invited to join this kind of experimental ship (laughs) to to go off and see what we could discover. And, And I was incredibly honored that he found me. And the reason he found me was because I was doing a lot of this work in schools at the time, doing my children's books. And because I don't drive, I was on a train. Quite a lot. And I suddenly realized that when you're a sketcher and you're sat on the train, you're surrounded by free life models. And Mm -hmm. I started to take a sketchbook and I started to draw the people on the train. But at that time, which is why this is a very long answer to a short question, but at that time I was using a 3B pencil. And what I did was I had a pencil case full of about a dozen. Pre sharpened 3B pencils so they didn't have to stop and waste time sharpening because when you're drawing somebody, they can get up at any moment. Um, And so I could just keep swapping out new pencils. And that was my kit. And those were what I was posting. And so he saw me and he invited me to join. And so I went on, of course, to have a look at what was going on. And I realized that all these other people were sketching in color. And I thought, oh my God. What am I doing? <laughs> and at one time, I used to get coloured pencils, but but it was very much yeah, they're a big, heavy tin of coloured pencils, and it was like I am going out drawing today kind of thing, rather than sketching things off, you know, as you go. Um, but I saw people using watercolour, and I'd never been able to paint. And I'd never learned how to use watercolour. And every time you get a book on how to use watercolour, it's all about stretching paper and laying layers down. And it's all very complicated and, you know, slow. And I'm incredibly impatient. And I couldn't be doing with any of that. So I never painted with watercolour. And then I saw this stuff. And there's all these people just, they're not doing any of that. They're just chucking paint at the paper and drawing all over it. And I thought, oh, my God. You can do that. It's allowed. So I started to experiment with watercolors. And from the moment I joined Urban Sketches, I started to draw in color, either using watercolors. Or the other thing I discovered was something that I still use all the time is Derwent ink Inktense pencils. Because on a train, you can't really be using watercolors. It's a bit of a kind of a a faff and yeah you know you don't want to be tipping paint all over anybody or paint water so I used these pencils which were they're watercolour pencils, but they're not like watercolour pencils you've ever used before. They're sort of like watercolour pencils on acid, you know. They're <laughs> just so, like, just um, And they're called Ink tents for a reason. Um, I've
0: got and, some. They are amazing. Uh,
2: they are wonderful, aren't they? And the thing that really excited me about them is when I've, I've had sets of watercolour pencils, and, and I just never use them. <clears throat> because when you put the water on it washes the mark making away but mm-hmm. with these the mark making was there to stay and so I could get the marky drawings that I like to do but I could also get the effects of watercolor and I could do it all with a water brush on a train really easily that was why that was why urban sketches really changed my sketchbooks so I can look through my 200 sketchbooks and see a really distinct line, the pre-urban sketches and the post-urban sketches. Um, Because all the pre-stuff, I used to go away on holiday with 3B pencils and usually quite small um, sketchbooks. And then suddenly the sketchbooks get much more exciting. I'm trying out different formats, and I'm trying out all these different um, media.
1: Wow. So how does the sort of process for doing urban sketching, how does that differ for illustration? It's a completely different
2: thing for me. Um, they've always been completely separate. People often say, oh, do you use all these sketchbooks in your illustration? And no, I don't at all. Um, I, when, I'm, when I'm doing um, a sketch, I work, my best work is always done very quickly. And I've sort of evolved techniques now that kind of help that. And so it's for me, the process is all about looking really carefully at the same time as I'm recording. So I don't do any kind of sketch setup stuff, you know, drawing lines, underdrawing or any of that, because I find that quite boring. I, you know, by the time I've done that, I'm not interested in the sketch anymore.
0: Well, it um, uses spontaneity as well, doesn't it? Do it does.
2: Know? So for me, it's all about hand-eye coordination and about finding techniques that help me to explore something as I go along. And also, if I make a mistake, i a little bit fudgeable. <laughs> <laughs> so um I do I, there's all sorts of really major gaps in a lot of my sketches but if a sketch is beautiful or exciting if it's got that that vibrancy people don't notice and they don't care and that is another huge tip really that I wanted I'd put out there it's much much better to do a visually exciting drawing sketch that has got mistakes in it where the perspective's a bit iffy or people are too small um, than it is to do a much more accurate sketch that is dull and stiff so just you know people don't want to be afraid of making mistakes because you'll never get that vibrancy if you worry too much about that so that is that could not be a more different process Mm. to illustration where it's very much about not making mistakes. It's very much about process, about me drawing things and drawing them and drawing them again, trying different layouts. You know, each character I I use, I draw several different times. I try different ways of making them work. Everything is laboriously drawn and drawn and drawn. I send them off to the publishers when I think they're right. And then the publisher sends them back to me and says, Yeah, like this, but don't like that. Change this, change this. So they're redrawn again before you ever get to colour them. Um, So, really, really different process.
0: Sketching, I think, is probably more fun. Yeah,
2: absolutely. It is more more fun. Mm -hmm. And I kind of realised at a certain point, that I was really good after years of doing it at children's book illustration, um, but I wasn't enjoying it as much as I should be. And when I was out sketching, I was so much more in the moment and having so much more fun, and it kind of pointed up something that I hadn't really noticed before. Yeah, okay, this is probably one of the reasons I'm not enjoying it as much as I should, that process suits a particular personality type. And I'm just not that person. Mm. I'm not into methodical, laborious, repetitious. You know, all my work had to repeat the same style because that's what sells. That's what I'm being commissioned to do. I can't go off on a kind of flight of fancy and decide I want to try something different. So it was very, very controlled. and so didn't actually suit me one bit. So I I have now finished doing children's books. I stopped doing them about three years ago because I kind of had this epiphany, realized actually I should be doing something different.
0: Well, you wrote a book, didn't you? A really good book called uh, Sketching People. So for a beginner who wants to draw people from life, do you have some tips that you could share apart from buying your book? Obviously, which we'll put a link to, on. <laughs> we'll put a link Actually, to book
2: later. Actually, I don't make any money from the book. Um, uh, like, oh, no. like most of the sketching books, um, they're published by Publishers that um, they're called um, packaging publishers, and they put together the book and then sell it on to other publishers. So you right. get a flat fee, not royalties. Right. Um, so, but that being said, the more people that read the book and enjoy it, the better, as far as I am concerned. So, great, um, yeah, it's 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 full of again. Like I did with the video thing, I with the illustration, I, I just sat down and tried to think which is quite hard, actually, of all the things I knew, because you forget what you know. When you've been doing something for a long time and you get good at it, it's quite hard to set your mind back to being a beginner and not knowing the basic things. So it took me quite a long time to think of all the different places where I had to really begin at the beginning and then bring it through different kinds of things that I knew and took for granted. And so I just filled it with just everything I could possibly think of that I thought would help and the publisher were really useful because they'd done a lot of those kinds of, pub- of projects before so it would have been a very different book if I'd have self-published it um, and they persuaded me to do a lot of things that I thought I don't really want to do that but actually in hindsight looking at the complete book with the Absolutely, the right thing to do. So that's again what I was saying earlier. It's a team thing. You need to you need to know when other people actually have more experience than you and are giving you good advice <laughs> and listen. Um, so yeah, it, it was then they helped me to organise it all, and we. This is how I know how many sketchbooks I've got, because I had to go through them all. The most difficult bit of writing the book was sourcing the right drawings for each point and finding where on earth they were in which sketchbooks. And mm. it took me ages to work out <laughs> a system because you don't even know what you've got. So you write this this stuff and then you, you need to talk about how to draw noses or whatever. Um, you need to find the right sketch and you don't even know what it is you're looking for. So it was so, so difficult to work out how. You find the things that might be useful, how you tag them with an appropriate teaching point, and then you saw them in a way that means you're able to find them later when you've written that bit of text, and you can choose between maybe the five things that show you how to do a certain thing, you know, so, and, but doing that like, times a hundred with all the different, well, more than that, different teaching points. So I had to number all my sketchbooks in order to to do this. And, and it was an absolute nightmare, and I had piles of sketchbooks in numerical order all over the house, <laughs> with little tags in them with like other numbers on these, on these, all these little bookmarks that were in there. And we had to go around and 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 use mobile phone to photograph all the different images because it was the quickest way that were in a sketchbook, and then put them sort of upload them so that I could see them quickly without having to find the sketchbook. But I had to have the sketchbook numbered so I'd know where they were if I wanted them. You know? So, yeah, so that's how I know <laughs> that I've got 200 sketchbooks. Um, but but it was actually really, really interesting to do. I, I thoroughly enjoyed doing it I'm, because it got me to write, which I love. But it also, again, was a brand-new exploring thing that was just – taking me out of everything i knew and showing me a whole new way of doing stuff um but i but yeah seriously if people want not to blow my own trumpet but if people are struggling with drawing people there's so much stuff in there there's so many different approaches to the problem and and different ways of demystifying it and you know there are tips that make it a lot easier than you think it will be um so so yeah give it a look hope it helps
1: so I know you mentioned before that you use ink tents, for your urban sketching. Now, what other kit do you use, and what would you suggest for a beginner as well? Well, my my biggest tip, if you're a beginner sketcher,
2: is don't put everything you might want to use in a wheelie suitcase and trundle it around with you. Um, I actually did meet somebody once at Sketchworld who did exactly that, um, <laughs> and and apart from the fact that you can hardly move when you want to draw you've got all this stuff to, all these choices to make and so it's it's actually quite difficult to begin so i think travelling light is a really good idea and i think start simple i would really i would start with a line tool that you can't easily rub out so something like a, a 3B, 4B graphite stick. So as you get a lovely strong line that if you try and rub it out, you get in a bit of a mess. So it will stop you trying to rub out all the time. <laughs> or an ink line, which is even scarier, really. Um, and explore how to make beautiful, fluid lines. One of the things when I do workshops I always start with is one minute blind contour drawings with something like a graphite stick so that you poke it through a bit of paper that's just a few inches you know it's square us maybe two by two and you draw without being able to see what you're looking at and you cannot help if you do that making lovely fluid lines because if you take your pencil off you have no idea where you are So you have to leave it on the paper and you have to be quick because there's no point in not being really. You can finish a drawing in 30 seconds quite easily. So again, it's a really good way of getting fast practice in. So I would seriously recommend experimenting in that way. But take something that will give you recourse to colour. Maybe not start with watercolour because that's quite terrifying. Um, It doesn't need to be and you can find ways to make that not terrifying but not as a beginner i would just take maybe four or five colors with you and just color the odd thing that you sketch you don't have to reproduce real color that was another thing that was like oh my god you can you can change the colors <laughs> <You know? laughs> oh yeah <laughs> and once you realize that and you realize you know the simpsons are yellow you don't have to do realistic colour either. You can do all sorts of crazy stuff. And so long as it's exciting and you're looking at the way the page is evolving as a design and you're making it as sort of an interesting drawing, you can do all sorts of stuff. Um, so don't take everything up but the kitchen sink. Just try out a few art materials at a time. And go out and use them, you know, every day for a week. And then if you hate them, try something else. You know, and and just find what are the right things for you. I take out a little zipper bag. It's a little toiletries bag. And it's, it's only, I think it's about eight inches by five inches by two. And I have a whole range of stuff in there that is honed right down. And I've got everything I need. And so I can put it in a large handbag or a rucksack. And you can take it everywhere then. And you don't have to plan a day of sketching. You can carry it if you've gone out on the sort of day where you might have time. And then when you see something you fancy, you can whip it out, which is by far the best way to sketch, in
1: my opinion. So do you ever get noticed by the people you're drawing? And uh, If you do, how exactly do you handle it? Um,
2: it's a, it's a question that I'm often asked, and and I'm often asked if I ask permission, and I never ever ask permission. Um, you don't want to ask permission because once people know what you're doing, they don't act naturally anymore. So they'll sit up straight, they'll show you their best side, you know. They, so the sketch you get doesn't look natural. What you want is body language. You want the way people slump when they're reading a book. Um, the way they stand when they're texting on their phone um so you don't ask permission and you try not to be seen and but they do inevitably they do spot you, and there are there are sort of ways that you can try and get around that for a bit longer, so you can look at the person next to them on a train. People are very close together. If some you see somebody make eye contact with you that you're drawing, just really quickly look at the person next to them and pretend to draw them for a while. And then they'll go, oh, okay, it's not me after all. And they'll go back to what they were doing. <laughs> so that does work sometimes. <laughs> um, some people wear, you know, caps with a um, a peak so that they can hide their eyes a bit more. Um, but ultimately. They'll probably see you if you do it for any length of time. Um, And it's not the worst thing that's going to happen. That's the thing you need to know, that most people, it falls into two categories. They either are so, it's, it's so outside their life experience because they're not arty themselves. So they've never seen anybody kind of draw, certainly not them anyway, and probably not seen anybody draw at close quarters that they just can't quite believe it, so they look sort of mystified <laughs> <laughs> and, and they're a bit like they they feel a bit weird about kind of approaching you because they don't kind of understand it, and so you know that they've noticed, but they pretend that they haven't, and you both collude in this pretence that neither of you know what's going on, which is really quite interesting um so it's either that or they generally get very excited because. Most people have never been drawn, and they're interested. And even if what you think you've done isn't that good, the chances are the person you're drawing can't draw, and so they'll think it's good. And they certainly think it's interesting. And they come and they say hello, and they you know they it, it, it becomes quite a nice experience. They often take photos on their phone to show their partner, and it's it's quite a magical sort of random contact, contact with complete strangers that you have that can actually be really lovely if you only let it in rather than sort of go, and try, try not to kind of make any kind of visual contact with people. I actually really enjoy that part of sketching. So try not to worry so much. It would, again, be another hot tip, really. You know, I, I think I've only once uh, had somebody object um, and that's out thousands of people that I've drawn. So the overwhelming chance is that it's going to be fine.
0: And you actually make a living from sketching now, don't you? Whereas you obviously used to make a living from illustrating children's books. So how did yeah. that change come about? And what is it that you do exactly?
2: Well, do you remember I said that I stopped doing the children's books because I realised I didn't enjoy it anymore? Mm. Um, one of the reasons that I was able to do that was because, again, one of these wonderful things fell in my lap. Um, it was, I suppose, in a way, it, it's, um, oh, what's the word for that when you put out good stuff and good stuff comes back to you?
1: Um, karma. 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 Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. That's the
2: word I'm looking for. I think it's karma, in a way, um, because I ran this urban sketching group, Did gave up a day a month. Um, for, uh, ooh, 10 years every month. Um, And, you know, I enjoyed doing it. I didn't mind doing it at all. And I saw it as a very useful thing because all of these people that weren't sketchers loved sketching if they were in a group because they felt safe. And it grew into this really successful thing, which was lovely. So I didn't mind it at all. But I gave up all this free time. And unbeknown to me, um, a couple came along to a few of my sketch crawls and one of them was an artist and her partner didn't draw at all but came along just to have a go. And she happened to be a professor at Manchester University. And anyway, they came and then they never came again and I completely forgot that they existed. But this professor had obviously remembered that experience and she got this funding opportunity that crossed her desk. And she thought, hmm, that might be interesting. And what it was, was uh, Leverhulme Trust at that time, anyway, they've stopped doing it now, unfortunately, Um, they were giving um, residency funding for 10-month residencies that were about an artist of any kind. You could be a poet or you could be a dancer or whatever. So long as you were an artist and you worked with an organisation that had nothing whatsoever to do with the arts and you kind of twinned yourself together to see what would happen, that was the only criteria. So you could put together a bid to do anything you like and if they like the sound of it, they would give you the money. Obviously, we're only so many places a year. So we put in to do this because the department that she was the director of um, was called the Morgan Centre for Research into Everyday Lives. And they were a bunch of sociologists. And she'd made the connection that what she was interested in researching, this kind of everyday stuff, the minutiae that kind of you don't even notice a lot of the time, was exactly the stuff that I enjoyed drawing. And we were recording the same things in different ways. So she thought that would make for a really interesting thing to do together. So we put in for the money and we were both astonished that we got it. And so I had this wonderful opportunity to go to the university two days a week. And I just couldn't believe that somebody was going to pay me to draw whatever i liked that was going um. on in this department you know basically i was painting a picture of what they did so i could draw the students i could draw i got into the offices of the members of staff i sat in sat in meetings and i went to conferences and i went i sat alongside um, lots of different researchers on research projects when they were doing interviews um so i learned all this exciting stuff and I, it was Absolutely brilliant. I thoroughly enjoyed myself, not just because it was the drawing, but because, again, it was a whole new world that I'd stepped into and all this new stuff that I learned. So I had a lovely time, and I realized at that point, this is what I should be doing. I'm a people person. I shouldn't be sitting in a room on my own. And luckily for me, after I'd finished that residency, various researchers that I'd work with that were part of the Morgan Center, um, they liked the idea of the sketching of the research. And so they put me into new bids that they were putting in. And they were only small bids, so it was like I might get four days of sketching, you know. Um, but I got bits and pieces. And I also Made contact with York University because they came along to a few things that the Morgan Center ran because they were another bunch of sociologists, and so they saw me in action and went, mm, "That's interesting." So they put me in onto bids as well. So I started to get work from them as well, and so it it seemed like. It was a model that might be sustainable. And so I thought, Do you know what, I'm just going to go with it. So I stopped doing the books and I just crossed my fingers. And I don't get constant work, far from it, but they pay me a lot better for my time than which book publishers ever did. It it's dreadfully paid being a Picture Book Illustrator. <laughs> <laughs> so so actually, um, although I work a lot less, I don't earn the same that I did from the picture books, but it's not massively less. It's enough um with what I you know, John's now pulling a pension, so between us it's fine. Um and so I'm I'm able to do this. And I got the most extraordinary thing, um, I went to Australia. I got contacted by um, another professor and director of a research centre in Perth, in Western Australia. And and she had just won all this money to set up a research centre and thought, let's celebrate with an artist in residence for a year. Uh, sorry, not for a year, for two months. And, um, and it, uh, invited me to go. So I got to go to Perth (laughs) and again do the same thing, do what I would have done without being paid, you know, and and that was even better in a way because they were um, psychologists um, rather than sociologists, and they were uh, work design specialists, and so they took me into different workplaces all over Western Australia. So not they took me into offices and call centres and kind of what we might think were ordinary jobs. But they also flew me to one of these huge open cast mines and I got to, to, to sketch a hand surgeon at work. Um, I, I, I did all sorts of really bizarre and interesting things. They have this um, long-distance school uh, because there's such big big spaces in Western Australia there are kids that are in the middle of super nowhere that can't go to school so they have to have this like online school I do remember vaguely from my youth remembering things like Skippy I bet half the people that are listening won't remember Skippy but it was a television program from Australia and I think I remembered this online school from from even back then so it's been around a long time um but all these kids kind of do this online thing, and the teacher comes, and they got like a, a, a huge screen, um, with all these little kids all up on it, all all in different places, all over Western Australia, kind of coming in to a lesson. So I got to go and and watch that and and draw it, and so I mean, it was it was absolutely amazing. Sheep shearing, I, I drew sheep shearing dags. Stop <laughs> 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 <Let's not laughs> yeah. hey. Fantastic. So. Uh, yeah, I'm seriously having the best time in the world, as you can probably tell at the moment. Yeah, amazing. Um, and you know, even if I get no no more sketching research work ever again, I've had the best time. You know, so yeah, fantastic.
1: Well, it's completely different to that, but I know you've also got a YouTube channel. Uh, yes, I don't, I don't know if you filmed anything about your yeah, Australia on your YouTube channel.
2: No, no, um, I didn't. Um, there's uh, the difficulties with the YouTube channel is, you know, trying to get professional looking films when you're doing it yourself in the attic, you know, it's very difficult. <laughs> and we did they don't look too bad in the circumstances. Um, but I've not done one for ages for that reason. Um however, that's not to say that if you're interested in learning more about either book illustration or sketching, that you wouldn't be interested in them because they're still just as relevant, even though I'm not made one for maybe five years. Um, I, there's loads of films I've made all about the different processes involved and the different aspects of doing the children's books. I've had, you know, films made of me kind of sketching out on location. Um, so there's quite a lot of stuff there. Um, so yeah, take a look, see if you like it. I find being filmed while I'm sketching actually really stressful. I didn't think I would. I I was quite blase. It's isn't it? God, yeah. Suddenly when you're on camera, it's like, oh my God. So, uh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Yeah, I find that as well. You kind of have to sort of stiffen up almost as if, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, I know exactly what you mean. Your your sketches are available on merchandise as well, aren't they? Can you tell us a little bit about that? That, that, Where people can find these things?
2: Yeah, that is a totally new thing that um, just literally a couple of weeks ago has has happened. Um, Somebody is making a business out of putting urban sketching, um, mainly urban sketching, onto various things like T-shirts and phone cases, cushions, various different things. And she contacted me to ask if I fancied given it a go and I thought well all the sketches are already done I'm, I might as well try it so what she's done is she's taken one of my sketches for the moment to see how they go and if people order them then there'll be more basically um so at the moment there's only one of my sketches available because it's so new and I i Gave her a few to choose from, and I'm so glad she chose this one. It's a really old fire engine from the 50s that I did on a sketch crawl um to a, a museum in Sheffield. And it's just so cute, this lovely red <laughs> fire engine. Um and um so that that is there if you want to take a look. Um it's it's called um Studio 56 as in numbers, so studio56boutique.com. Um, and so there's not just mine there. There's all sorts of other stuff as well. So, you know, have a look. Um, yeah. They're based in Canada. So the only problem for the UK is the, obviously the postage breaks up the price of things a little bit. But, um, yeah, it depends on the disposable income, I suppose. But, yeah, certainly have a look.
1: So what other plans have you got for the future? Well, definitely
2: trying to get as much of the research sketching as I can to see if that's something that I can keep doing um but I've also because this has released a bit more time because when i when I was doing the children's books, you know as i said i'm I've got three months solid in a room there's no space for anything else um, suddenly, in between these sketching jobs, I've got time so I've explored something else that came just you know, I was saying about these creative shifts. I just had this idea for going back to textiles, but not really the type of textiles that I trained in, which was obviously the screen printing. I just got the urge to have a go at drawing in hand stitching. And I started to just playing around with some of my sketches and thinking, well, what would it be like? So I've never redraw any of my sketches or do paintings from them because it's what's the point? You never get anything as good as the first thing you did because it lacks that life. Um, but I thought, if I interpret them in a completely different medium, it'll be something new. It won't just be a rework of the sketch. So I started to experiment with random sketches and, And it looked really interesting and I've really enjoyed it. And so I then started to experiment with with other things and I I had a a landscape drawing that I'd done that was sort of semi-abstract and I had to go with that and that looked really interesting because it was already slightly abstracted. So when I then did the textiles, it was like, oh, even more abstracted. Um, And then I got so excited by the mark making itself I left the sketches behind and I realized they didn't have to be recognizable pictures at all. I could just play and and just make stuff that was visually interesting out of different kinds of marks. So I I've been using a lot of organza, synthetic organza, because it's so sheer. But if you layer it, you get almost like the effect of watercolor because you get these very, very delicate colors that can be layered up and they get rich where they're layered up but they're almost invisible where they're not and you can rough cut all the edges so you get soft edges and then you can stitch underneath in between on top and it's just really interesting and then I've tried painting as well on it you know and I even did one with a bit of oil pastels as well in the mix and just created all this stuff and the more I did the more excited I got with it and I think it's because I've done a little bit of self analysis here. Um, I think it's because when I was doing the children's books, I used to have the sketching that was the other. So the children's books was work, and the sketching was the I can do anything I want, this is play thing. And now the sketching has begun, moved into the work category. I thought, sort of, I think I needed something that was radically different to be the, I've no idea what I'm doing here, play thing. And I think that's why it's taken such a hold on me because it's another start from scratch, anything's possible sort of thing. Um, and and so much so that I've started making sculptures. I've never made anything 3D in my life. And all of a sudden, I I got this urge to make shapes. And and believe it or not, I'm building things out of plastic carrier bags that I'm stitching into, <laughs> and it's it's just bonkers but it's such fun so uh yeah uh, that's why i really have no idea where my future goes because i don't know it it may be something that will be i've been doing it for two years two and a half so it may peter out and i'll lose interest in, in it or it may be something that grows and grows and i do as much fine art as i do sketching i i don't know but i i just love the idea of taking yourself in these different directions and just running with it and playing because i don't think we do enough playing i really don't mm-hmm. you know i think that's why sketching is so popular because it's it's you know a play thing which is why you can't be taking it too seriously take it too seriously you kill that it needs to be fun and and light and you need to not worry about the end results you know, it, I know, it's easily said, and I, you know, I'm the same as everybody else, you know, <laughs> if it's not going well, I get seriously <laughs> grumpy. Um, but uh, what you have to keep reminding yourself of is that when you were six, you drew for the joy of drawing, and you were only very marginally interested in the finished drawing. You know, mum might take it and put it on the fridge, but by then you've moved on. You're not that excited about that. You enjoy the process of drawing and just having having fun and making marks and playing color and then suddenly we kind of get to about 10 and we start getting real hang-ups about does it look like reality you know are people going to judge me am i any good and from that moment on loads of people stop drawing and even those of us that don't have these huge hang-ups about is this any good or not and we need to get our heads back by whatever means we can, to that six-year-old mentality of "so what? What's the worst that can happen? It's yes. absolute rubbish. So who cares? I had a really great time for twenty minutes playing. Find your inner paint. Paint.
0: child. Find your inner child. I think that's what we absolutely do, <laughs> we
2: really do. So yeah, I think that that again is central to what I believe in. And when it comes to urban sketching, and to really art in general, to be honest.
0: So, where can people find out a bit more about you and your work?
2: Well, if you Google me, I've been around a while, as you could probably tell from the (laughs) fifty years of uh, practice. Um, If you Google me, and the two hundred sketchbooks, (laughs) absolutely, I'm going to come up. Um, I've got now the embarrassing situation where I've now got three websites because I've got one for the children's books. Then, when I started to kind of work with the urban sketching I thought oh I need an urban sketching one so I set up an urban sketching website and then suddenly I started to produce all this textile stuff and I thought well you know I need to do something with it let's get it out there so I, I just very very recently launched a website that's got some of that on. so there's now three different Lynn Chapman websites and um, so if if you're seriously interested lynnchapman.co.uk is is the first one the children's books net is the urban sketching and the research sketching one and then uk is the, the new one and my name is spelled with two N's and an E and you might if you google it come up with a belly dancer there's there
0: a belly dancer <laughs> Is that you Lynn as Chapman.
2: well? No it's not <laughs> 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 Another good way to play, <laughs> I should think. Actually.
1: <laughs> well it's creative,
0: that's for sure. Yeah. That's so true. <laughs> yeah.
1: well, thank you so much. It's been so lovely talking to you. It's fascinating hearing all about your life. Oh, thank you. No, it's been yeah.
2: really fun talking to you. Yeah. And, and
0: we'll we'll put links to your all of the various things that you've told us, like the books and the um you know, all your social media and things on our show notes as well. So okay, and we'll can check you out. Yeah, it's been lovely. fantastic. Thank
2: you so much. Thank you. Thank you for taking the time to listen to me ramble on. Brilliant. <laughs> <So funny. laughs> Take care right. then. Okay. Thank you. Bye.
0: Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for listening. We hope you enjoyed the episode. And if you did, perhaps you'd like to share it and leave a review for us on iTunes.